The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. This show brought to you by Jersey Ninja. New items added weekly, superior quality products, excellent selection, competitive pricing, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. That's Jersey Ninja at jerseyninja.com. Your source for great quality hockey jerseys and performance wear products. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the Dashing Duo, Derek and myself, Mike. How you doing, Derek? Um, all right. Well, you, I have an interesting guest for us this week. Indeed. Uh, you may have heard her over on Mighty Marvel Geeks. Uh, now we have her here. And that's Jenny Steven. I remembered how to pronounce her last name correctly. Thank you very much. I love it. <laughs> Hi, guys. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's Friday, man. I am happy for the weekend. Uh, me too. Yeah, weekend's still a couple days away. Uh, sorry. So tell us a little bit about what you do so our, our listeners know. You bet. So uh, officially, I'm a fandom development consultant. What that really means is that I work with IP owners like studios or production companies or authors or gamers. And I make sure that they're connecting with their fandoms and that their fandoms who love their stories and love those IPs get as much access and relationship building with all aspects of that IP. What that means in reality is that I spend a lot of time at events. I spend a lot of time with people like yourselves and I try to make sure that we are having all of our studios and productions and authors spending time with their fans and building those relationships. That sounds fun and exhausting and <laughs> exhilarating and all wrapped up. It. Yep. <laughs> That's, I'm, I have to admit, um, I am exhausted today. We have just had a pretty much a seven day push to get all of our campaigns set up for the end of the year for one of my clients who's a sci-fi fantasy author. It was a blast. It was super creative. You can see I've been scribbling uh, on my whiteboard. It was amazing and I'm exhausted. It was a lot of one and 2 a.m. mornings to get everybody on board, but it's all of those things that you just described. So how did you initially get into this line of work? 
So I fell into it. I, there, there was some, there was some guidance and choice on my part, but I started in TV production. And when I was working in TV production, I worked in post for a while. And this was really early on in the olden days of digital and internet and uh, essentially fandom online. And I worked with Usenet groups and AOL chat rooms. And I got started really early because I was a geek myself. So I was doing post-production. I was working in television production. And then on the side, I was having fun developing and doing digital in from about starting around 90, 1990. So what ended up happening was, is that I followed my bliss essentially, and we started a company online in 1993. And eventually what that became was me working with different agencies or studios. So I got to get both sides of it and with IP owners to develop early marketing and early content online. And as a sci-fi fantasy freak basically when i was at the agencies or i was at the studio a lot of times nobody wanted those titles they wanted the fox searchlight titles or the you know and i got to do bond but they wanted to do a lot of those so when the horror movies came up when the geek movies came up or the sci-fi fantasy i would raise my hand because i would be their resident sci-fi fangirl and I got to do Aliens and Predators and all of those, and video games. So I got to do early Namco and Midway websites and content because nobody else wanted to do it. So I loved it, and I got to marry the two things that I was loving, which was digital production, digital content production, and being a geek. And what that eventually became after doing, as we all do, um, paying my dues and working my way up is that I got to be director of production and I got to be um, head of an entire department at Fox where I was getting to do digital content for sci-fi and television, all of Fox's and MGM's. So I got to do, well, that weirdly their animation department fell into that. So I got to do all the animation, Futurama, Simpsons, Family Guy, Bond, Aliens, Predators, Star Wars, all of it. And I got to the point where I realized as a fan, we weren't serving the fan. We were doing what's called a windowed campaign where you pay attention six weeks, maybe if you're lucky three months prior and two weeks after the quote unquote release, even if it was streaming. Well, fans aren't served well with that. And one of the earliest that did it right was X-Files, but Harry Potter's probably the one that is the best example of branching into what's called a year-round life cycle of getting content and creating new content and bridging and supplemental content and then actually engaging the fans themselves. So early fan art, fan fiction, a lot of that scared the studios and the IP owners. And a couple of studios just waded right into the deep end with fans and were paid off quite well for doing that. And that's what I do now is I make sure that those relationships are spending time, that they're not just dropping off a cliff once something's streamed and done. A perfect example is Loki. You'd think that they'd get it right, but Ahsoka and Loki just ended, and there's nothing. There's no follow-up. There's no bridge content. This should be just, I mean, it's waiting. You've got supplemental content literally backed up, sitting on digital drives, just waiting. Mm. Yeah, which is a shame. It is. And I, it's 
Sometimes at certain studios or certain IP owners, it's a resource issue. Totally understand. But that is not the case at Disney. So. <laughs> yeah, you would think you'd think Disney would be a little better at, at the, the whole fan thing, but. <laughs> it's hit and miss, man. I mean, Mike, you know. It's, oh, yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Rex and got it right for a long time. Um, I worked with Disney for a long time and, and on the one hand, early on, I could go to them with anything or Fox with anything. And they say, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Go for it. And we talked about this, you know, last time I'd get like a buck 99 for a budget, but they would, they would say, go do it, have fun with star Wars. I got to do that with bond. I got to do that. But as it became, as it digital content and digital production and digital marketing became more traditional, then it became more restricted and then it came under marketing and then it came under content production. So when that happens, suddenly you're back to windowing campaigns as opposed to just year round life cycles. Yeah. And with, with all, all of those, all of the Disney properties, those definitely are things you'd want to have year round. Right. Thank I mean, now a lot of that's being supplemented by fans, right? I mean, chalk a block YouTube fans. I mean, there's some that I just love to watch because I'm a fan. And so uh, there's Parks and Rex guys. There are Ahsoka. There are Marvel ones. And you can follow them and they're doing year round life cycle. But how much, how amazing would it be if they were given content mm. by Disney? Yeah, exactly. If they had somebody doing that and giving them something that was bridging during all this time because you look at loki we had so much time in between yeah right but they don't if they leave it up to fans and it's it really it's a gap that needs to be paid attention to and filled and that's what i do and it's it's kind of an uphill battle sometimes but so why is it it seems like lately the studios don't care about marketing or promotions at all are they relying on the, are they kind of relying on the fans and people yeah. like us podcasters, content creators to do yes. it for them? Yeah. And it's, it's a mixed bag. So there are, it's so funny. I just had that. We had this super intense conversation, a whole bunch of my friends, because we're still in the actor's strike. So you have outside issues and outside forces. So COVID happened right when the technological shift tectonic shift was happening to almost a full 180 degrees. Okay. We're not going to be doing anything. We're going to just go full streaming and full dedicated subscription channels. So COVID happens, happens while they're changing those business models. You have artificial revenue streams that happened during COVID that from a business model, they all should have been very aware that that was going to drop like a rock and I think a lot of them, well, no, I know a lot of them talking to them thought that they could sustain three quarters of that. And they couldn't. There's no way. We all go back to work. That drops. So your 21-22 budget drops massively. And that's where you saw all the layoffs. And that's where we saw in 22 and 23 this shift where you have a constriction of what money's being spent. And marketing is always one of the first to go. And marketing can include everything down to consumer products. So if you've got consumer products that's supporting your content production or your, your campaigns to reach fans, anything that's under that marketing umbrella is going to be cut. It's one of the first things that gets cut. 
The second reason is the are the stripes. I get that. All right. So we have two outside issues. The bigger problem is the presumption that you don't need to do it anymore. There is a, a very large assumption and presumption internally at the studios and even at smaller production companies that I've been working with recently that the IPs and the franchises that already exist in a fandom, have existing fandoms, don't need additional marketing. And it's the, if we build it, they will come. Arrogance. Right. And, and, and one of the major problems with that, from at least from my point of view is sure the fans might all be you know like we're for our podcast we pay attention to all of this stuff we know what's going on with Ahsoka we know what's going on with Loki we know what's going on with the Marvel's movie coming out and everything right right because that's kind of our you know job it's not really yeah. a job <laughs> oh it is but, but it isn't yeah, well, when I start seeing a paycheck, then it's a job. Hey, your application is becoming your vocation, so I, I think it is a job. I call it a job for sure. For, for me, it's fun. It's just I love doing it. But anyway, uh, but the point I was making is, but um, you take someone like my wife, on the other hand, who's not into all the fandoms. Like, she likes watching Marvel movies, and she'll watch Star Wars stuff and everything. But, you know, she doesn't – I don't even think she knows it. Loki came out or, or anything like that. Right. So, and, and you still need to get those people. Well, and it's, I think the, the conundrum in my head coming from my point of view is okay, there's a lot of white noise out there. I get it. But the easiest way to cut through that white noise is not to go spend $3 million on an ad that is 10 seconds long post-Super Bowl. Spend that money going out after the podcasts like yourselves, the fans who are dedicated, because you will reach concentric, larger audiences each time. Mm. They can't because they don't have the time, but they do have the money. And then the smaller production companies don't have the time or the money, but they could find somebody that's an agency or myself to go and reach fandoms, give them content, give them exclusive content, give them something that's cool. That is a supplemental story of bridge. One of my favorite campaigns, and I, I bring this up all the time was IDW's and it's, you know, pause RIP for IDW's series development team, because unfortunately it didn't work, but Winona Earp was one of the best campaigns. because They did a phenomenal job of, paying attention. They started two years before it was going to be on sci-fi. And so they were out doing supplemental graphics. They were doing graphic novels. They were doing uh, cons and events. I, I only knew about it because I was at a comic book, free comic book day event with them. And they said, hey, we're really excited about this. You know, it's not going to come out now for a year, but we're giving out the first issue. We really want everybody to get excited about it. And then they had people that were going out and meeting with very specific fandoms. And they did cross-functionality like I've never seen before. So they were talking with fans of uh, Tomb Raider games. Of So they really went for the types of concentric circle audiences who then told their friends. That, to me, was that perfect example of cross-functionality, where the studio, the IP owner, and the supplemental owners, the people who were creating that bridge content, 
all went out to different fandoms, but they worked together. So the messaging was cohesive. The branding was cohesive. It was so cool. I mean, if I could see another one like that, I would be thrilled. And Disney had such an opportunity with Ahsoka to do that. And instead, it is that if we build it, they will come. And it's, it, is an, it is a presumption. Yeah. Fans are smart. They're not. They're going to look at that and they're going, okay, well, if you're not making the effort for me, I'm not going to make the effort for you. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it, it, for me though. It seems like Ahsoka. They actually put in some effort and some marketing behind. Whereas Loki, oh, Marvels, yeah. no. no well, don't well, get me started on the Marvels because that one really kills me. I, I've seen I've seen a preview like twenty minutes of it. It's a great movie, and and here's here's the difference. A B popcorn movie is a great, or I'd say it's a good movie. It's a B popcorn movie. That's a good thing to have. Yeah. Not everything is going to be an A plus movie. Right. This is a great Saturday matinee, Saturday afternoon, evening, go with the family, have a great time, get your kids to go see it. This is where you go after kids. So you get that second generation and the marbles misstepped. Don't give me this excuse about the stripes. You've had this ready to go. You could have had them out knowing the strike was coming, which we all knew the strike was coming. Those guys wanted to go out. I was talking to um, the PR publicist that that is for Brie and um, Monica, and they wanted to go out. So what what tripped you up? And there are some obvious reasons that tripped them up is that they are – catatonic about a female-led film they are right they can't they're catching themselves coming and going it's well brie larson's had all these problems and we haven't really had a female-led film oh wait barbie was successful oh great let's push it now there's been no consistency to this marketing at all right well the, the the other thing about like that is like with something like barbie they'll they'll take the wrong message from it as to why it was yes yes exactly yep and they'll go the wrong route with their marketing or whatever exactly it always kills me always kills me well the the other thing gives me too is marvels was pushed back what this is this is the third release date for it yeah so if it came out when it was supposed to it would have been pre-strike exactly and so nobody can make this excuse and I, you know, it's, I, I give the, the three women props because if I were them, I'd be out there just fixing my brains out about how badly this was handled, mm. especially the younger, the actress who was in Ms. Marvel, because she has an opportunity and she's getting an albatross around her neck that has nothing to do with her. Right. She's, she's done great work and this is going to impact her career to some degree, I think most people are pretty understanding, but to some degree, it's going to trip her up. And that's unfortunate. And it's let's ignore the issues that trolls have had with it. Don't worry about that. Stop trying to answer that. You're never going to make them happy. So right. who cares? You certainly don't sit there and answer the fans about Boba Fett. So therefore, why would you possibly do the same here? Or I'm sorry, the opposite, where you're paying attention to the trolls. It's, it is mind-boggling to me that we are in 2023 and we are stumbling over a female-led superhero film 
like it's 1996. It's just insane. And then, then yet I hear uh, just this week talk about the new Blade film. Oh God! How oh, God. here, here, here is the a new Blade film supposed to be a male lead, right? And he's going to be the fourth in, in ten, supposedly, according to rumor, he's the fourth lead behind three females. Which is nuts. Nuts. Which I'm happy to see three, see him w- working with three female other leads. But that's not appropriate. But I the mean, movie's Blade, not yeah, the women not of find, Blade. And you're not going to find any woman fan who thinks that that's worth it because there's two reasons. One, it's stupid. It's not story led. Right. It's demographics led. And then secondly, it sets us back because everybody's going to react the way we are right now, which is you don't have inclusion for the sake of inclusion. If it feeds the story and you can do it well, hot damn. Okay. I'm glad you brought up the word inclusion (laughs) because I mean, I figured I'd throw it out there. I I am a very open-minded person for the most part. Um, being with Disney, obviously that's been a key word that's been thrown around for a few years now. Yeah. And when, when I have tried to make a few changes for myself that I, I get told, no, I'm like a uh, hello inclusion. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, it does. No, it does work that way. I know. I know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm wanting a specific nickname for my name badge and it's what yeah. people call me at work, but because it's owned by another company and there's an IP of another company, my nickname, oh. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is what I go by here at work. This is what I want on my name badge inclusion. Oh no, it doesn't work that way. Oh, so you're now saying you're going to deny me, which is then now you're not including me. Right. And I have a case with HR. It's pick and choose. It is. It is. So it it doesn't work on marketing. It doesn't work on, well, it doesn't work in development. You can't do inclusion just for the sake of inclusion. I was just uh, listening to John Roca's um, The Hot Mic podcast. He was just talking about this, where it is... You can be Latino, you can be African-American, a woman. Inclusion just for the sake of saying that you had those on your movie, your series, whatever it is, that's not what anybody wants. Because inevitably, the blowback counters any progress you might have made. And if it doesn't serve the story, then what's the point? Now, I have no problem. In fact, I want things like... um, Sam for Falcon, I mean, for Winter, uh, for Captain America. I love that idea because we've served the story, not right. just because he's African-American. It's served the story correctly. And it's, it's canon and it's fun. And how cool is that? Ms. Marvel did a great job of adapting some of what was happening to a storyline that followed most, some of the Muslim stories and mythologies that they've got, legends, and I'm not, I'm not talking about religious, I'm talking about mythologies. Right. That's really cool. That makes sense. But what, what a lot of fans don't realize is this is the inspiration they're pulling this from is the comics. And this is right. what they've done in the comics. Right. And one of the things that killed me about Anthony Mackie, and I'm hoping... It was a miss. It was people had a misconstrued as being sarcastic. 
But when he said, well, it, it's, it's a good thing where, where, you know, now that I have a black Captain America. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I, dude, have you not been reading the comics? <laughs> I know. And I think... I think, unfortunately, that was a misstep on his part where he hadn't done his homework or his handlers had not made sure he did the homework. Yeah. And, and Mike, you're right. We have innumerable examples in the comics. of. And even with that, Sam is not the first black Captain America. No, no I know. We, we see, even in the series, the character who will eventually become the Patriot, his right. grandfather was the right. first cap exactly or you know female thor which, when that happened was a massive blowback i had female thor as my um avatar for years it's it it was a fun book that they wrote that was adapted appropriately yeah but the blowback from the film was oh i, I mean i love fans telling me oh well this would never have happened okay so it's <laughs> It just, it's, it kills me. And it's when you start having to quote books that they haven't read, I don't want to be gatekeeping either. I don't want to be right. that Star Wars fan that says, well, you can't be a fan because you didn't know this. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that let's be more forgiving, for one thing. Right. And let's be more aware that, a huge chunk of your audience comes from comic book childhood, graphic novel childhood. The people making the decisions that I get to go pitch to, for the most part, are my age. And so, therefore, I'm not having to explain to them what these things are anymore. I mean, I still have to have the argument about, <laughs> which just kills me about why it's important to have a relationship with your fans. <laughs> but if you can get them about what they're a fan about, what did they read? What did they play with? What did they do? Every single solitary person that I'm pitching to has grown up with some fandom, whatever that is. Right. So if you can make that connection, then you can say, okay, great. Now that I've got you guys on board and you've done your work, now let's go talk to the fandoms. And let's balance that those of us who do read the comic books, we need to not gatekeep to people who haven't read the comic books. I don't care. If you're enjoying it, you're coming to this, and it's like I said, a B popcorn movie, and you enjoy it for what it is. Cool, awesome. I mean, don't criticize it if you haven't <laughs> done your homework about why it is what it is. Right. But I just I, I think that all of the the contradictions that I have to deal with on a regular basis of making sure I reach the fandom, making sure they know that I understand what their content is that they are passionate about, but also trying to simultaneously say, Hey, you're not the only fans. There are right. these new people over here who just right. came to this and you want this because if you don't have that, we don't get the movie or the series or the new graphic novel series. So you want these people, you want these new fans, these casual fans, but we got to find this balance between the casual fans trolling the hardcore content and the hardcore fans trolling the casual fans. It, it, it can't be any more of, you know, never the twain shall be. We all live in our little silos. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of room for everybody. Right. No, no matter what level of fandom you have. And you, we, we all, we all grew up like, you know, when we were all kids, um, 
we we were you know it wasn't cool to be a geek or whatever we okay. were you know, no we were picked on or we were shunned or whatever so now that's what kills me when you hear about people who shouldn't be doing that because we've all experienced it and they now they're doing it because their thing is finally popular and it's like come on just yeah we should all be embracing everybody you should right. you know if you gotta meet a casual fan say hey you like this marvel thing or whatever then hey let me show you some of right. some more of it and maybe you get into that person if we were in school right now we'd be right. doing that in person we'd be coming and saying oh my god did you see this graphic novel i was so excited about this entire run and right. then my best friend would say oh but wait did you read this and i would say no oh my god that's why aren't we doing that in real life that's right we did it as kids so why hasn't that translated and it's it is part of my job and so i i can understand the passion i can understand that sometimes that passion goes too far what i don't understand and maybe i'm just being too kumbaya about it is what i don't get is why aren't we happy that everybody's into it i know that's what i don't get See, I, I think Derek and I are happy. Everyone are into it because it's finally, yeah, it, it's, yeah, you know, you're finally catching up to where we're at. Right. Have right. Been at, and it's why, like in our intro, you know, it's the geek revolution. I love that. We are taking, you know, geekdoms is taking over. Yeah. And, um, but I want to get back on, onto the inclusion real quick. Do you think, yeah inclusion or the concept of inclusion the way it's being presented today is hurting the industry or hurting marketing and promotions so socioeconomically sociopolitically i think it's necessary i think where we have danger is when there's an overcorrection right so equal and opposite reaction either we push it so far, understandably, and I can, I, I mean, I am obviously about as white as you can get, so I can only speak from a woman's point of view. A lot of times, as a woman, we will push harder because there's been, in my career, decades of abuse, mm -hmm. and especially in the entertainment industry, so we overreact, right? I think that in, in our geekdom, in our entertainment space, I think that you have a lot of people who want to be part of that, who want to be in the true sense of the word included, and they have been suppressed for so long that there's an overreaction, that there's a feeling and a need to emphasize or sometimes bang the drum a little bit too loudly and too long. Having said that, I will oftentimes, just this week, find myself having incredibly ridiculous conversations that I should not be having that are oppressive to say the least, mm -hmm. uh, dismissive. I just had one this week where I was, <laughs> I was gobsmacked and, and I didn't react quickly because I was taken so off guard that I was just being dismissed. And I thought at first, because we all do this, I thought, Oh, well, they just don't, they don't know what I'm bringing to the table. And so had that conversation and that was not it. I literally got a, oh, I'm not making this up. Little lady. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And I was, I, I could, 
couldn't help it. It was on a Zoom. I just busted out laughing. Like, <laughs> wow. I don't even really know what to do with that comment. So moving on. And that's when you have those, it takes a while after those meetings to kind of come down off being pissed and frustrated. And, or in my case, I was just like gobsmacked. So I didn't even say what I should have said. That's just a me example. I can't imagine what it's like for everybody that's in our corner of the world, in our part of the industry, in the geekdom part of entertainment, to try and make it be reflective of these great stories that are in our comic books that are genuinely inclusive and to run into challenge after challenge after challenge. And I think the potentially perceived overreaction of marketing or internal decisions or uh, (laughs) lip service, Disney does a lot of lip service, that that's in reaction to, well, we want to do it right. We want to do the right thing. But in reality, as you've seen, Mike, they don't do it. It, it, A lot of it is lip service. So then you have people who are of color or women saying, okay, well, you said you were going to do this and you didn't. So when I'm in control, when I have power, I'm going to make sure that we do do this. And I think that that's what you're seeing when you're asking about marketing and what we're seeing and the maybe beating the drum a little loudly. I think that's what you're saying is a reaction to behind the scenes. There's still a lot of prejudice and discrimination. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, d- not to be depressing i didn't mean to bring no, no, us all no, no, down no. there for a minute but I, it's just but, uh, unfortunately d- it was my reality this week as well but do you do you think it's also yeah, working it's in reverse to really oh yeah you mean blowback on it you mean well you know even with some of these marketing firms or whatnot where where instead of if I'm trying, I want to make sure I don't get this wrong from what you said. Sure. But the prejudice and discrimination that because certain groups have been targeted and now you, you have people in marketing who are from those certain groups, they're trying to, I guess, the most blunt way to do it, ram it down everyone's throat. Yeah. And I think that there's an overcompensation that's happening. Like I said, I think anytime that you have been discriminated against and in the entertainment industry in particular there is discrepancy beyond belief it is it is ridiculous the gated communities that happen and you have somebody like jordan peele who creates monkey paw productions which is one of the best places to work in the industry right now Mm. and for, for anybody and you think okay we need we need to hold this up as an example of how it's done that he just looks for good work, for good stories. He's, he doesn't care. He wants to support and lift up African-Americans who haven't been lifted up, but he's looking for good stories no matter what. Right. That is certainly the way you want it to go, but he's in a position of power where he can do that. When you have a lot of people who are of color and minorities or just you know white women that are in middle management, you got it coming and going. And so that's where, Mike, I think you see the most amount of overcompensation, where you see the, I'm so frustrated, I don't, you know, if I can make a decision about this campaign, I'm going to make sure it's just about this. And I think a lot of that is legitimate. I think we have to understand and be as understanding as we can that we don't wake up in the morning and see a different color in the mirror. I am not walking in their shoes, and I didn't deal with that. So... To see yourself 
on screen in a series, in a book is kind of amazing. I, I think, I think a perfect example is Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson. There are those that are absolutely of the opinion that this is being rammed down their throat, that it was chosen, that having a African-American Annabeth was completely inappropriate. What they're not listening to is Rick Reardon wrote this 20 years ago, and he's the one that wrote the new scripts. He's the one that chose to do this. He is about as middle of the road kind of guy as you can get. He is, I worked on the Percy Jackson movies. He is the nice and genuinely one of those amazing, nice guys in this industry that just doesn't happen very often. Right. He has wanted to have this be more reflective of America for years. So that was his choice. However, I understand how there are diehard fans who have read these books and had a picture in their head. And they feel like, well, wait a minute, are you just doing this because you just want to be inclusive or DEI? I think that that's that perfect example where it's kind of a hill that people are going to die on. And Rick Reardon had the perfect response. And he said, if that's how you picture Annabeth, the books are for you. And if you want to come with me on the new journey where I think it's more reflective of America, then the series will be for you. But there's room for both of these to happen. Annabeth can be whatever you want her to be. Right. Well, and that was the perfect answer. And I think this is where Marvel got it right, but also Marvel got it wrong. Mm. Mm. Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Okay, fine. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me a white actor who, who could have done the same type of job. And to live in that character. I know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Derek, I think I lost you for a second. Are you you still there? (laughs) Are you still there <laughs> now? But the, the ancient one. Yeah. yeah. That was a mistake. Yeah. Didn't mind. She was a woman. Right. Do mind the fact that they went Irish Celtic with her when everything backstory wise comics and anywhere else, the character is of Oriental descent. Yeah. You know what? I'm a hundred percent with you because it's, that's, that's another great, perfect example, right? Where you've got, if it serves the character, then honestly, it doesn't matter. But right. if part of their character building is their cultural background, and that's an integral part of what that character's story arc has been, then messing with that, I think, is a legitimate reason for fans to say, time out. I'm not saying this because I wanted a white person or an Asian person or African-American or Indian or whatever. I'm saying that you're missing out on the character building, the character's arc, and that was served by their culture or their race. And to abandon that means you're abandoning that part of the story. But, right. But you know, I would have been okay if it was a, an Asian Indian. Yes. Someone from absolutely. India still fits uh, okay. that same yes, exactly. part of the world. Yeah, I don't, that's, yeah. the, that's one, I don't understand why they went in that direction. It made no sense. It made no sense. And it made no sense to the story. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm hardcore on character that it's like um, casting agents will always say, honestly, nowadays, they don't care. If you come in and you're a female and it was male or you're African American and it was white, if you are fitting the character description, 
They don't care because they're looking for story arc. Can you inhabit this character's skin? Literally, not necessarily. Figuratively, conceptually, that's where it's important. Now, I laughed and over on Mighty Marvel Geeks, we we have fun with it when there was all the blowback about Danny Rand. Iron oh Fist. my God. Why isn't he being cast as an Asian? Because he's not Asian. <laughs> no, that was the weirdest. And I felt so bad for that actor. I think uh, part of the problem was the curly blonde kind of halo. I mean, it, it, for me, I thought he was fine. But again, I mean, I joked about this on the show before. I'm a pretty low-hanging fruit audience. As a marketer, I'm much more hardcore about it. But as a fan and a geek, I'm, I am definitely of the, like I said, if it's a bee popcorn movie, it's a bee popcorn movie. Right. Go enjoy it. Stop being so precious about it. But Have some fun. Uh, but as the marketer or as the content producer, that's where I start to look at it kind of askance. Like, okay, you guys could have done a better job at this. Right. Well, I, I think one of the funniest ones I did read, and I, I do remember, is, of course, Thor, Love and Thunder had come out. Yeah. They announced She-Hulk, and they go, everyone's like, oh, so they did, they did She-Thor. Now they're going to do She-Hulk. I was like, oh, uh, have you, where have you been? Have you not seen the comics? Have you not seen the cartoons? Have you, she is one of my favorite characters. Like, hello, she's been out a lot longer. Look, we didn't have a lot to choose from when I was a kid for, for women, right? It's like I had Wonder Woman, She-Hulk. There weren't a lot to choose from. I mean, unless I went super obscure, like Silver Sable, I, you know, there weren't a lot of things that I got to watch. And I love right, Silver yeah. Sable. That's she's now my uh, avatar because it, it gets appropriate with my. Uh, <laughs> I like that my silver hair. But you know, I think it is ironic that you some of the these critics catch themselves coming and going. Right mm. here, they're actually creating a character that is one hundred percent authentic and true to the source material yes. and they're still complaining and I just think you gotta be kidding me and I look if I worked at Marvel I would not be paying attention to any of this because you can't win for losing you can't lose for winning it just right. there's no way to come out the other side I think that there are I think there's some basics if we go back to the original question that you asked me there's so much bridge content and supplemental content that's where I think the lost opportunities are because I think a lot of these criticisms wouldn't find their mark if that supplemental material was out there. So in other words, perfect example, people didn't know about her, right? Mm. So why didn't you put out supplemental material that was accessible to the masses? Not free comic book day. There are a lot of just general audience, what we call mainstream audience, still call mainstream audience, when you're looking at fandom personas and audience personas, Right. Even though we're mainstream now and we pay a lot of money and they make a lot of money off us, we're not considered a mainstream audience persona. We're considered experts or avid fans. Right. So to reach that mainstream audience, why aren't you informing them about these characters? Why aren't you spending that time? And I just I, I just am absolutely blown away at the lost opportunities. Mm. So again, my wife is one of those mainstream audiences. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I'll be like, you know, like when She-Hulk comes out, I'll be like, 
if you ever heard of She-Hulk, do you know who She-Hulk is? Right. Or, you know, or something like that, or, or just to get just to get her perspective on. Yeah, which is what we need to be doing. I so my husband is now more of a geek because he's been married to me all of this time. Right. Uh, but. For instance, for Loki, we watch the the post YouTubes with new rock stars or Screen Crush or whoever because I miss stuff that's in there, and mm. I listen to the breakdowns and the spoiler reviews that you guys or Geek Buddies do because I love hearing. Oh wait, I missed that, or an opinion about why something was adapted the way it was adapted. But that's me, and that's some hardcore down the rabbit hole stuff. And I love listening to all that. What I've seen a rise in, and I've seen a rise in the, um, the data metrics for it are the recaps. So the recaps, we started doing recaps as uh, digital marketing and content production, probably in the mid nineties. And I can't remember it. We had, I had at one point, which show it was that started it, but the one that probably brought it the most digitally was 24 because you mm. had to be able to recap what had happened so that you knew what right. was going on. So that's where that became a peak moment in digital content and digital marketing. Right now you're seeing a peak moment in recap. So I just did a data analytics presentation about what type of content, what category silos are the ones in my area of geekdom. And of course you have to split it by types of geekdom. But in our comic book graphic novel, the recaps are the ones that are killing it because it's reaching mainstream audiences. They're two minutes or they're 10 minutes. That is digestible. It is done in a way that's fun. It makes you feel excited. And studios are now paying for this. So that's where content creators like yourselves have an opportunity to see a need and a gap and say, I'm going to create this content because I know that there are people out there outside of my avid fandom that could use this content. And then studios and IP owners or people like myself will see that and come to you and say, we want you to partner up, come with us. Let's do this together. That's where I think there's a lot of opportunity for content for content creators like yourselves. Interesting. So <laughs> at the moment, I know you had reached out to us originally through Mighty Marvel Geeks yep. and then through Weeby Geeks. And I'm like, Mari working, trying to get her on Mighty Marvel Geek. Oh, I didn't realize you were the same person. I'm like, check last names. <laughs> um, but uh, the, but with, even with that, though, why aren't the studios ta- taking advantage of this? I mean, I understand a little bit why Lucasfilm does, doesn't. Yeah. Because yeah. there's over 250 Star Wars podcasts out there. And yeah. How do, you, yeah. how do you pick and choose which ones to deal with? I mean, I know they go by based on numbers. Right. Whatnot. But. Well, type of content, too, is what they go by. It's, it's twofold. There's a lot of white noise. In the old days, and by old days, I mean late 90s and mid 2000s, there were not that many, right? So podcasts for sure, but we're just talking blogs, right? Mommy blogs, things that we were working with back then. Fan forums were big. Mm. So it was pretty easy to narrow down from the top 100 down to the top 20. And then within that top 20, it was pretty easy for us to look at, okay, what are their numbers? And then where does their content 
align with the type of content we want to do in our campaigns. Number one, despite the fact that Disney has a lot of people, Marvel has a lot of people, and Lucasfilm, they are resource desert right now. They've laid off an enormous amount of people, and the first ones that go are marketing, and the second ones that go are content production, supplemental content production. If you don't have the people out there looking for you and basically raising the flag or raising the pom-poms and saying, hey, guys, we really need to be on Weeby Geeks. We need to partner up with them because this is their audience. This is the type of content that would be great. It would be fun. Let's bring them in as a permanent partner. They don't have the time. And that's, I think that that's the biggest gap that I've seen is that simultaneous to this growth of these amazing content creators and fandoms, we have less and less people dedicated and we go back to the presumption and the arrogance of we will build it, they will come. And there is now this ginormous chasm of what they presume needs to be done and what we know should be done. And right now they don't need where you are finding, where I am finding great, amazing innovation is with your middle and independence. So I'm working with three authors right now that are sci-fi fantasy. They're all in. They are, hey, here's my IP. Here are the books I've written. This is what I want to do. Um, Brandon Sanderson is a perfect example. Now, he exploded for a lot of different reasons, but he's got his own convention in Salt Lake City. So there are entire businesses and industries that are growing up around sci-fi fantasy authors and books. And you've got TikTok and Instagram who have dedicated book talk and bookgram and fantasy talk and fantasy gram, sci-fi, etc. That's where a lot of the people are paying attention or smaller production companies like monkey Paw productions. They pay attention. So, it's if you're doing reach out, if you guys or fans want to do that kind of outreach, you need to look for properties that aren't the obvious ones, properties that aren't Marvel, Lucas, Disney, you know, the big four, basically. Right. Okay. There's a lot to really, to really digest when you really think of all this. <laughs> but you know, Derek, we, we've kind of done that already because we, we work with October Coast and look at all the different independent film projects. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. Then, and then because of that, you know, the connections we've made there, like we have uh, a former guest that I reached out to. It's like, hey, I saw you got a new project. You want It's out. You want to come talk about it? And, and they're coming back on next week. Um, but look, also, too, look at all the, you know, comic book creators and, you know, Zenoscope and, and Valley or, or Aftershock. I mean, a lot of these guys like Aftershock thought they were going to go away. They've just gotten new funding. So you've got independent publishers. I, I, I think you find your niche and you live in that niche. It's part of our problem, I think, as geeks right now is that it's overwhelming. It's it's kid in a candy store. Right. So there's so much you have to find the niche and focus on that. So for me, I, I focus on certain types of things at a time. I, it wasn't on purpose. I had two authors come to me. I have no idea how they found me, but these two authors have come to me. Well, now I've got three and then I've got another publisher pending. So things tend to go in cycles for me. They just, that's how they happen. And so I'm not worrying about studios right now. I'm not chasing studios. I'm not chasing my old networks. I'm focused on working all with authors and publishers and independents and 
uh, smaller production companies, frankly. So I think if I was feeling, oh my gosh, I, I mean, of course, I wish I was working on some other things. Like I would love if Amazon and MGM finally got their shit together and did Stargate, I would love to work on Stargate again. But I can't chase that right now because it's a bit of a dead end. I'm the old guard. You know, I think they want to move past the old guard. I mean, I worked on it for 20 years. I think they want to get new blood on it. So I need to make a choice to focus on what I know I can do really well. And that's right in front of me. Right. As opposed to being distracted and wanting to do all these other things that are over here that I would love to go back and do. But that's not what I can do right now. And I, I think that a lot of us get overwhelmed because we are lucky enough to be in this kind of amazing, perfect storm where there are people our age that are making those decisions or my age making those decisions to do geek properties, to do sci fi, to do fantasy and oh my God, there's a fandom that's out there that's paying to see these properties. We're in a pretty special, lovely place right now. But it can get a little overwhelming of, like I said, a kid in a candy store. It's like, oh, there's chocolate. Oh, wait, no, I want the hard candy. Oh, no, wait, there's taffy. Sour Patch Kid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you talking about being overwhelmed actually reminds me um, of a question that, that I'd like to ask you. Um, so I have, I have another podcast, uh, that I do with my best friend called Keepers of the Fringe. And, um, we have discussed in the past, um, like the, the fatigue, you know, like Marvel fatigue or whatever. And, and we, we've kind of thought that perhaps, um, it might, it, it might not be, it could be better if they would just not, if they would continue putting out like maybe less things, but more better quality things. I think that's a legitimate argument and I get it, but I would posit something slightly different. You don't hear anybody say that about any other genre, Mm. except maybe rom-coms. Everything's got its cycle in the entertainment industry. And right now, because we have massive distribution channel choices between streaming and the networks and IP owners like studios, honestly, there is no reason why sci-fi and geek properties and comic book properties can't continue the way they're going. You're going to have projects that aren't as good as others. You're going to have those B popcorn movies. You're going to have the A plus, and then you're going to have the stinkers just like any other genre. So if we look at action adventure, right? If you go on any streamer right now, action adventure, sci-fi fantasy, they're their own silos. At Amazon, they have now instituted silos that are thematic for their shows, their series, and their movies. So they have an entire sci-fi fantasy silo. And one of the reasons they did that was when the boys was successful, they realized they needed to have teams that were dedicated to that type of content that understood that type of content. Same with Reigns of Power. So I don't think that there's fatigue. I think that there is a learning curve. I think that we are a particular avid fan base that is not one that they've understood correctly or or seen before, frankly. I mean, outside of romance books, there is no other avid fan base that is its own distinct living personality like we are. Right. And that has to be understood. So 
you know, people throw content at us and we're going to reject some of it and say, nice try. And then we're going to love some others. And then there's going to be some that we all argue about. I think what we need to look at is that sci-fi fantasy geek properties, comic books are a genre like any other that's in entertainment. It's going to go through cycles. There are going to be generations who love it. There's going to be generations who are like, eh, not my thing. I think that the beauty of what we've got right now with technology distribution is that all of us can continue to choose to watch this. They're still going to create this content. It's like action films for a long time. That didn't exist as a genre. Action adventure didn't exist. Within action adventure, you have a pretty wide spectrum. They are always going to make these. They're going to have direct-to-streaming crap that I watch on a Saturday because I just want to have something on in the background. There are going to be A-plus action adventure series that get a lot of money dedicated to them. That's where I think we are with sci-fi fantasy and comic book adaptations, is that it just needs to be perceived as a genre like any other that we just look for the right audiences. All right. I guess my final question, it'll be the final question for the episode. Um, and I would love to have you back on. Uh, I think we could go even further down rabbit holes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Since you have been slowly doing a podcast tour, how hard is it or has it been for you when talking to the studios? Um, Cause I know authors would be podcast. Yeah, sure. Shoot yeah. my way. How hard is it with the studios and with um, PR companies to go? You need to reach out to podcasts, and I can give you a few that will actually help your cause. It's been an uphill battle. A large part of what I do is to say, here are the relationships I've built. Like, I have a great relationship with you guys now. So I have a list of people that I go to other people and say, you need to work with these guys. So I'm working with two friends out of Atlanta where we're working on a project together. I already have a list of podcasts. These two get that. They absolutely understand that. They understand why it's important. They get it. Who we're pitching to, that's a whole nother, it's just a whole other ball of wax. You would think that our particular genre that we love as fans would be a no-brainer, be low-hanging fruit, that I could walk in and say, hey, guys, you know what you need to be doing? Um, you need to be talking to these guys, and let's put a package together that has fandom and weeby geeks and a couple of these guys over here that are doing um black geek girls let's put you guys all together and let's put this package together and let's have it be its own tour for the marbles right that right. Should, yeah. that should have been easy peasy you don't need any talent Everybody gets to talk about the content. You get 20 minutes that you sneak previewed. We get to talk about how it's based, how it's brought together, the threads, what's based on the comic books, what's not. That No talent is necessary for that. Right. right. But, nope. Well, I, I could tell you with Weeby Geeks, Mighty Marvel Geeks, Bookie Radio, uh, I, I could probably speak for Derek and his shows. We're on board for that. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. I'm all in. That's, this is building relationships. I mean, a large reason why I'm doing this podcast tour is because I got tired of having these conversations with falling on deaf ears right. with the studios, with IP owners. And in even honestly with, with authors, I mean, I'm pitching some stuff to Aftershock Publications. You'd think that I was talking to a studio. So it's, it's just weird. It is... Right. Mm -hmm. 
It is, it, it is, thank God I love what I do. And so once in a great while, I get tired of having the same conversations. But <laughs> most of the time, I don't mind because to go back to the reasons why I'm in this in the first place, most people I can find have something they're a fan of. So you just need to find that connection with it. You need to build those relationships. So it works both sides. We need to be spending more time with fandoms if you're the IP owner. And the fandoms need to know that they've got somebody like me or you guys that are building relationships with those IP owners. Yeah, and to to speak on what you just said, um, I mean, we can't speak for any other podcast, but we would we want to talk about these things we want to promote these things we want you know this, we want to do this so but then again we also want to talk to people in groups who if, if they want to hear honest opinions then, and therein lies the rub yeah because people don't because there's a difference and see and, and now i will say one of the things that we've seen in my career is that what used to be pr right? And you do your little road trip. You were given very specific questions and that's what you could ask. And that's what you could talk about. The first, the first person who broke that mold was one of my old bosses, Bettina Sherrick over at Fox in international. She did the first ever digital bloggers, digital content, YouTubers, uh, press junket with X-Men. And I can't remember which X-Men it was. Uh, and what she did was she started in Cannes. And she did a digital bloggers with international because they were much more open to it. Mm. And you would have thought that she had discovered the internet. I mean, she laughs to this day over it. And what ended up happening was, is that of course you had people who had opinions. This was not your normal junket. And so she just opened the floor and you, the talent was just, look like deer in the headlights, but they ended up having a great time because she had picked very specific talent and directors who could handle it, who understood, who had been online. They got it. Well, honestly, all she did was spend a little bit of time understanding how this was going to work. And it worked. It was amazingly successful. I can't remember which one it was, but it wasn't even the best X-Men, but she had done something with it that expanded her audience. It was beyond the avid fan base. And that's fantastic. That's all a studio wants is to get that concentric circle out. They want to get one more concentric circle and then one more after that. And from you guys, you want to have the opportunity to talk about things you love. Well, that means we have to accept if we're on the IP side that you're going to have an opinion about it. Right. I just, I think that's insane that we're even operating (laughs) in any kind of world where people are trying to do some old, you know, head of gabbler. These are the questions you get to ask. Yeah. We won't want to hear your opinion, but only if it's nice. Oh, and these are the questions you're allowed to ask. Let me hand them to you. That's yeah. always my favorite. And and look, PR and publicists, they have to play that game. We don't have to play that game. So what we're trying to do is to go back to that gap I was talking about. Fans need to hear, and we need to be able to be the bridge between what the fans want to hear, what they should hear, the content they should get, and what the IP owners are thinking that they don't have to do. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to reach out to them that way. Right. That's where you guys are bridging that gap. Now, with I guess a follow-up question, um, with sure. your podcast tour, have you discovered that there were some, you know, besides us, because I know we're, we're horrible and we're 
were at the top of this particular list. Um, were were there shows that you? Because uh, I know you said you you listen to a lot of them. You listen to them. You go on the show, and then you find being after being on the show, they weren't exactly what they presented. From what oh, you heard, no, and, I haven't run into that. I I know that some people do run into that. I haven't, but I also have reps who are really good at doing the research for me to to find out because I gave them, <laughs> I gave them a list of about a hundred podcasts. <laughs> so I had done my research ahead of time, and they do a really good job. And they do a really good job of coming back to me and saying, "Okay, if you haven't listened to them, this is what they talk about." And they actually listen to several podcasts and then tell me. Hey, before they introduce me to the podcast people, hey, this is what they're about. Is this something you want to do? Oh, the folks who listen to us, you need to give them a raise. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, these guys are amazing. And, and look, the reason I went to these guys, I'm not a big fan of using agents or managers or reps to do the job that I can go out. My entire world, my whole skill set is building relationships. But I didn't really know where to start with podcasts. I listened to them. I didn't know how to get a hold of people. I mean, it's pretty basic once I figured it out. But I didn't know how to introduce myself. I... I obviously love to talk about what I do. That's pretty clear, but it's not my job to do this. So it's one of those times where I have found having reps to do that and do the legwork and do the research has been phenomenal. I don't know that everybody does it that way. I did my homework ahead of time and figured it out that I wasn't going to be a good representative of myself. I needed somebody to be doing that for me and, and also to do the legwork. I don't have the time right now. So I kind of get all the benefit. I get to come on. I get to be on these great podcasts. I get to meet these new people. I get to build new relationships and they do all the legwork for me. Okay, cool. <laughs> hey, Derek, I think maybe we need to bring her on now to watch radio. <laughs> Yeah, really. To, really, to really get a lot of these Lucasfilm and, and Star Wars and Indiana Jones or whatever stories based around Lucasfilm. I mean, look, this stuff, I love this stuff. I love what I do. I am so lucky that I got to do it. Some of it was by choice. Some of it was me saying, hey, this looks like it's going to be really fun. And some of it was pure luck of the draw that I, I happened to be standing in a room and asked a question. Honestly, it's it's been curiosity my whole life that's gotten me the good gigs. I, or and raising my hand, but it is so again perfect storm that we're in right now. Right, it's whoever I can introduce you guys to, I will do. I think that we are the those bridges between back and forth, not just one way, from the IP owners and the fandoms, and we want to make those communications and those relationships stronger right. than they are right now. And see, we, we've discovered too, with a lot of the independent stuff, uh, independent projects, we, we've, we've gone in and, and Derek and I will talk before shows like that was a really hard movie or series to watch. How hard was it for you? But then we start talking to and be like, okay, this is going to be an interesting interview. Then we start talking to them. It's like, okay, now we, we start opening the door of yep. this is why they went this direction. This is because we'll yep. blatantly without coming out going, now it didn't really necessarily agree with you on this, but well, why'd you go this route? Yeah. And, and the other thing and then, is they're, they're all like, very okay, passionate whoa. about their projects. So it, it helps. 
They want to, right? If you're talking to the, if you're talking to someone, if they're on your show, then you've you've met someone who wants to have this conversation with you. Yeah. They want to, and they're willing to take the good with the bad. Yeah. Or I should say the bad with the good, which means the challenging or the critical or the constructive criticism. They're willing to take that because they're people who get that this needs to be out there, that yeah. this is that that piece of information. They want to explain it. Most writers, most anchors, most directors, producers, we all want to tell our story and we want to tell our story our way. Mm-hmm. We don't want someone else out there. I mean, that's why. PR is such a hard job is that they're writing about someone else's story in the way they think will sell it the best, not the story. Now, I think some of the fun ones is we'll turn around and ask a question and they're like, oh, you get it better than we thought you would. Oh, those are great moments. And then they go, and you, you understand it more than the paid professionals who, who are critiquing us. You get what's going on. It's like, Okay, so this is my biggest gripe, and and I I bailed on my other my other call. Um, it's I'm not going to do a production call at eight o'clock on a Friday. So, hey, uh, I wouldn't be very productive. Um, this is this is one of my biggest gripes. So a lot of what I do is based on I have a little flowchart. Uh, fandom development, audience development is covered by about eight pieces of a pie. Right. Meaning where where's your audience? That's the first question I ask anybody is where do you think your audience is? Not where are they? Where do you think your audience is? And then they say, okay, we think it's here, here, here. Great. Let me tell you why it's also in these other eight places you didn't even name. What I then do is I put together a team that is based on that content. So if I've got um, so I've got a vampire werewolf supernatural guardians uh, IP that I'm working on and I have a sci-fi fantasy, which is very fantasy. It's like Princess Bride meets Star Wars. So oh, cool. so it's got, it's got humor. It's got sci-fi. It's got fantasy. It's got kind of like Lord of the Rings in it. Those are very, very different. I've got two completely different teams working on each of these IPs and they've read the books. They know what they are and they are either fans themselves or they understand the genre. What drives me nuts is when you're at a studio or an IP owner and they just willy nilly assign an agency because it's the agency they've always used to work on some campaign for a new series, a new television show, a book. That's insane to me. You should be looking for the agency that knows and understands that genre, first of all, who has been successful with that audience, audiences, and then make sure they have somebody on staff that's read, watched, paid attention, is a fan or will become a fan, and that doesn't happen. This has been my biggest gripe since I started in this business is that I'm raising my hand. It wasn't the question. They're not saying, hey, who loves aliens? It was, uh, does anybody want to do this project? Um, what? That, that's not how you do this. That's not how, I mean, it, it's, it, is the, it is the cookie cutter application of marketing business models. And what I do is not just marketing. What I do is content production. It's audience development. It's it's a million things in one and you can't just cookie cutter a marketing business model and expect to go capture that audience. 
Right. And engage them or get the keep or best case scenario, keep their attention and sustain a relationship with them. Not going to happen. Right. Where can people find you online? So I primarily I'm on TikTok. I don't do any TikToks yet. I've started my account. I'm geek with gray hair, um, but I follow a lot and I do a lot of work with um, fandoms within TikTok. Instagram, I'm uh, just Jenny Steven. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter as well. Um, I refuse to call it X. That um, <laughs> I, I, I find Twitter to still be very good for sci-fi fantasy. It's like we're a little gated community where the rest of it's a right. dumpster fire, but we're still active. So I'm Jenny Steven there. Um, you can pretty much find me on LinkedIn for business those others for fandom. So if okay. you're an IP owner, I'm on LinkedIn as Jenny Steven. Um, and then if you're a fandom or you're an influencer, please contact me, DM me. I answer everybody on TikTok and or Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. We definitely got to get you back on to continue down some more rabbit holes. And I, I will be in touch about um, maybe sometime in December getting you over on Wookie Radio. Oh, I would love that. We could talk about Pablo and the whole creative. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and another person who I have mixed feelings about. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a I'll, lot. I'll mention off air. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot we can talk about there. Look, I love talking with you guys. You are one of my favorite interviews that I've gotten to do. Thank you so much for having me because it's just it's fun to find my tribe, you know? On it's been that fun note, and fascinating. On that note, whether you are asking or not, we are definitely asking. Want to know more? So, um... The bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.